Well, it's good to see you all today. Hope you're having a great Sunday already. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, this time of the year I start uh, kind of getting a little bit excited about uh, the fall and kind of some of the structure that comes with fall. And uh, a lot's happening. Um, uh, I know some of you are, a lot of you are, are either heading back to school or getting your kids ready to go back to school. And uh, there's a lot that happens too uh, in the church as we head into the fall season. Uh, Christy already shared about a lot of things starting up, uh, Connect and Mops. We're grateful about that. Uh, before I dive into the teaching this morning, I want to let you know that uh, we have a, a beginning of a new community group season uh, in our church. And we've been talking about this for a while. Um, over the past, uh, well, I guess it's almost a couple years now as we've gone through a transition process in this church, you know, one of the things we really considered is uh, how to get more people connected in our church to community groups. Community groups have always had a big uh, part to play in the life of the church here at Be Free Dover. Uh, it's a way that people beyond a Sunday morning uh, get connected with one another in shared spiritual pursuit. Now really, here's our, our vision for these groups, and that is that we want to help people experience the life of Christ in his body and be formed together as followers of Jesus. So it's together that we experience the life of Christ, and it's together that we are formed to become more like Christ. We need one another for that to happen. And so I think Sunday morning is part of that, but being able to be you know, around a uh, a living room environment where you can dialogue and get really to know one another. That's a key environment for discipleship to happen. And uh, so this fall, we're kicking off a 10-week community group season. And we're going to do this in, in kind of 10-week uh, increments to give people opportunities to really make a commitment for a period of time. And uh, then if they need to, uh, be able to finish the commitment, but then uh, change for the next season. And so this fall, uh, we're going to be studying on Sunday mornings uh, the gospel according to Mark. And community groups are going to follow along as well. We're going to be considering the same content, but be able to take it a step deeper in dialogue. Um, now, on the information table uh, on the back left as you're leaving, there's more information about community groups. Um, we have uh, uh, about nine community groups um, starting up this fall. Um, so quite a few, uh, ample of space for everyone to get involved. And that's really uh, my heart's desire, is as many of you as possible will be able to connect to a community group. So a lot of different nights of the week, some daytime groups, uh, different structures, different formats, some single gender, some couples, some family. Uh, you can find out more about that on the, uh, the information table back there. Also, watch your weekly newsletter. More info coming to you in that weekly newsletter about community groups. Um, here's the goal, is that by September 3rd, we would complete our sign-ups, all right? So we encourage you to get the information, prayerfully consider uh, if God would have you to be part of a community group for this coming fall season. Uh, but we're, I'm really looking forward uh, to what God will do uh, in the season ahead. All right, promo is over. Uh, we'll have a real subtle transition to the message now, all right? Uh, if you've been here the past few weeks, we've been considering uh, Jonah. And we have reminded you most weeks that the most famous part of the Jonah story is the big fish. And that's actually not what Jonah is primarily about. Cool part of the story, but the main theme in the book of Jonah is the surprising mercy of God. Now, if you haven't been here, let me quickly recap uh, where we're at in the story here. And maybe you can even help me out a little bit. Uh, at the beginning of the book of Jonah, uh, the prophet Jonah receives a message from God. And God told Jonah to go to the city of, anybody remember? Nineveh. Nineveh, yes, very good. Jonah didn't go to Nineveh. 
Uh, Nineveh was the sworn enemy of the Israelites. Uh, he could not imagine that God wanted to show mercy on Israel's enemies, and so he went the other way, the exact opposite direction, to the city of, anybody? Tarshish, all right, exactly, very good, all right. Did not go to Nineveh, went to Tarshish. Uh, on the way there, um, a great storm came up from the Lord. Uh, God thwarted his attempts to run away from him. And uh, Jonah recognized this and eventually uh, convinced the sailors to throw him into the sea to make the storm cease, and the storm did. Uh, but God delivered Jonah from the sea by sending the great fish that swallowed Jonah, and Jonah survived for three days in this great fish until he was spit out upon dry land where God came to him a second time with his call to go to Nineveh, and this time he went. And that's where we pick up the story in Jonah chapter 3. Now, I know we've done a lot of like up and down, but I'm going to invite you to stand back up today. All right, I'm going to read this text, Jonah chapter 3. After I read Jonah 3, I'm going to then say the word of the Lord and invite you all to respond, thanks be to God. All right. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. But when, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. God, I pray that today your word would lead us in all truth. I pray your word would lead us to Jesus, the living word. And God, I pray that uh, by him and by your spirit, uh, you would help us to live out uh, all the uh, instructions that you're going to give us today. So use this time to form us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Well, Jonah chapter 3 is an amazing account of transformation, uh, of change. Uh, what takes place here, I mean, the, the danger of becoming familiar with the story is we, we lose sight or kind of uh, miss the, how impactful it actually is. I mean, what took place here is staggering. A whole city, a city of 120,000 people, has a radical transformation. I mean, can you imagine change on that scale? That many people uh, living one way and then turning to God and intending to live a different way. This is radical transformation that takes place in the city of Nineveh. 
Uh, but the author of Jonah doesn't just talk in generalities about Nineveh. The author gets specific about a person in the story, about the king of Nineveh. He kind of uh, shines the spotlight on the king, on his transformation, and on his message. So I, I want to do that today in this message. I want to consider three things. I want to consider the surprising message of mercy spoken to the king. Second, I want to consider the surprising response to the message of mercy by the king. And then third, the surprising confidence in the message of mercy from the king. All right, three things. The message, the response, and the confidence. All right, first, the surprising message of mercy spoken to the king. And, and we read this message in verse 4 of Jonah 3, where it says, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was Jonah's message. All right? Uh, pretty simple. Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, when I first read this, I think, man, uh, that's surprisingly simple. Uh, the message was not an oratorial masterpiece. Now, there's no illustrations in Jonah's sermon, no fun jokes or uh, good stories. There's not even an application. You know, maybe um, the childcare workers in Nineveh were happy with the, the length of the message, but really it was an incredibly short story, uh, message. You think, wow, that's an awfully simple message to have generated that much response. It's surprisingly simple. And really, as we continue looking at the rest of the book of Jonah, it's not just a simple message, it's actually a surprisingly hollow message. When you get to chapter 4, you realize that Jonah was hoping his message wouldn't work. Uh, Jonah says this message, and chapter 4 reveals to us he didn't want the Ninevites to repent. I mean, he's hoping they won't listen to him. Jonah is like the worst evangelist ever. I mean, just imagine a great evangelist like Billy Graham or someone you know, giving a great message and hoping people don't respond to it. We think, well, what's this guy doing? And this is Jonah. He is, he's not speaking with passion, with compassion. He just is delivering this message and hoping people do not respond. It's a simple message. It's a hollow message. And also, it's surprisingly negative. It's all about judgment, right? I mean, just imagine if this was my sermon today. Yet 40 days, and Dover will be destroyed. Let's sing the doxology. You know? Uh, it's not a very inspiring message. It's very negative, all about judgment. And, and this is the message that launches a revival. This message, uh, though simple, hollow, and negative, was filled with surprising mercy. And we have to just stop here and pause and recognize that God loves to draw straight lines using crooked sticks. All right? It was not Jonah and his uh, skill as a, as a preacher. It was not his goodness as uh, someone who was looking to follow God's ways. It wasn't Jonah um, that caused Nineveh to repent. I mean, this is the God behind the message, which should be a great encouragement to you and I. I mean, if God can use Jonah to cause a whole city to turn to him, he can certainly use you and I. Uh, to cause neighbors, co-workers, family members to turn to God. Uh, it's the God behind the message who is the power. And so we, re we recognize that here. 
This message, though simple, hollow, and negative, it was filled with surprising mercy, that, that God would use a person like Jonah. But, but more than that, the message itself is filled with surprising mercy. And here's the surprising mercy of the message. It's the surprising mercy about judgment. Now, that may seem like a complete paradox. How can a message about judgment be merciful? Well, let me try to unpack this a bit here. Uh, we today in our culture are really caught in attention. Um, on one hand, in our culture today, one of the last things we want to be known as is being judgmental. We do not like to talk about judgment at all, and especially when it comes like judgment from an authority figure. So the idea of God being a judge is not received well at all in our culture today, even among Christians. The idea of judgment is, is uh, very, very unpalatable. Uh, some of you here are probably uh, members of Planet Fitness, right? What, what's the motto at Planet Fitness? Judgment-free zone, right? You know, you don't want to go to a, a gym where the motto is, come here, we'll judge you. <laughs> That's all you're lifting? You know, you're quitting already? No, that doesn't inspire you to get involved. You know, we want judgment-free. Um, or even when it goes beyond things like exercise and fitness to like how we're living in life. Um, you know, we live in New Hampshire, a very live and let live culture. We're not trying to like put our values on somebody else. We don't want other people to put their values on us. So when it comes to how we live our lives, we don't want judgment. Well, we live in an area and in a culture that really shies away from judgment. But at the same time, even though I, we, we kind of shy away from judgment, we, we deeply hunger for justice. We don't like judgment, but we want justice. Um, over the past decade, we've seen this in a number of ways. It has been a growing movement uh, in our country of areas of corruption and abuse being exposed. You know, we think about the Me Too movement and how people were exposing those in high power who were abusing those with lesser power. We think that's wrong, and it is wrong. And we long for justice, for that not to happen. Or we see in our culture there's been a real hunger for racial justice. We think it's wrong for the strong to oppress the weak or for the rich to grow in wealth at the expense of the poor. There's been a growing hunger for justice. Now, people choose different avenues to focus upon for justice, but there's a hunger in our culture for justice. So here's the tension. We don't want judgment, but we want justice. And guess what? There's no justice without judgment. We can't have justice if there is no judgment. Without a standard of righteousness by which to judge, there can be no justice. We, we can't be on the wrong side of history if there's no right and wrong. So the question is, who determines that? And the scriptures are telling us there is a God who is just and who will judge according to his standard. This is actually a very merciful thing to recognize. Now, I'm, I think many of you play soccer, you students, and soccer season is starting. Let me try to tease this out a bit here. Um, you probably have played in a soccer game when there was a referee, maybe who was very new at their job, or for whatever reason, a referee who refused to make any calls. We would say the referee swallowed his or her whistle, right? And now, if that happens, if the referee does not enforce the values, the standards of the game, what almost always happens 
is the game begins to descend into anarchy, where usually the stronger players, physically, simply get rougher and then oppress the weaker players. So it's not the skill or the, the, of the team or the individual, it just is power. Now, we live in a world where we know that's wrong. But if there is not someone who actually recognizes right from wrong and then enforces uh, always, always things descend. And the surprising message of mercy spoken to the king of Nineveh is that there is a God who sees evil, who cares about justice, and who will set things right. There is a God who sees evil, who cares about justice, and who will set things right. We don't want to live in a world when that's not true. If there is no God who sees, if there is no God who cares about justice, then things will not be set right. We will be forever locked in a struggle of who gets to say what is right and wrong. But thankfully, mercifully, there is a God who sees, who cares, and will set things right. The surprising message of mercy. Uh, second aspect we're going to consider here is the surprising response to the message of mercy. Uh, the king hears this message. Uh, Jonah chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Have you ever seen a radical transformation in a person? Or maybe have you ever experienced yourself a radical transformation? Uh, a friend of mine uh, who's now a pastor uh, in Fall River, Massachusetts, at one time in his life uh, was a drug addict. Uh, he almost lost his marriage, his family. Life had just absolutely descended for him. But he got connected to a ministry called a Teen Challenge, and a radical transformation took place in his life. Uh, God got a hold of his life. He was able to turn uh, from this addiction and turn to Jesus. And, and not only did his life personally come back together, but then God began to use him in the lives of others. Uh, he became a pastor, and he has this amazing ministry with people recovering from addiction. I, I, anytime I, I talk to him, I'm just amazed at the transformation in his life. And it's exciting to see stories of radical transformation. Well, you don't get a much more radical story than this one here. Um, you know, the king of Nineveh, who had grown rich based on violence, corruption, oppression, and injustice, hears this message, this simple message, and it says, and he believed it was from God. That's amazing in and of itself. That he didn't just say, uh, get him out of here. You know, I don't, I don't want to hear that. He believed this was from God, and then he responded. He did a 180 in life. It's a radical transformation. And I'm going to categorize his response in three ways. We first see that he humbled himself. It says that he came down from his throne. He didn't just keep sitting there uh, in the place of power and in the place of comfort and luxury. Um, he took action. He came down from his throne. It says he removed his robe, um, his royal robe. Um, everyone look at him. No one else had one like this. They'd recognize his power, his prestige. 
but he takes it off. And instead, he puts on sackcloth, uh, this rough kind of burlap-like fa- fabric. And then he sits in ashes, all signs of humility, signs of the fact that he's not the king of the universe, somebody else is, and he has wronged the king of the universe. And then he fasted. Instead of indulging himself, he instead uh, goes without. Uh, I'm sure the king had never done any of these things before. The king humbles himself. And the consistent message of the Bible is that God opposes the proud, but then he hears the cry of the humble. Um, the surprising message of the scripture is that the line in our life, in our world, isn't so much between the good people and the bad people. The line is between the proud people and the humble people. See, we like to think we're one of the good people, but the real question is, are we one of the humble people? The king humbles himself. And secondly, he then, he turns from evil. Um, That was the phrase there. He called people to turn from their evil ways. And Nineveh was an evil city. And the king recognizes, uh, we have been living wrong. Uh, We have been getting rich at the expense of other weaker nations. Um, This is wrong, how we have been conducting ourselves. So he recognized his way, their ways of living, and they, they begin to turn. And the scriptures uh, um, specify one area that they were turning from. It, it says there that they recognized the violence in their hands, the, the violence of their hands. Um, when you read through the scriptures, we see that God hates violence. Psalm 11, verse 5, makes this clear. It says, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked And the one who loves violence, the one who loves violence. You know, I wonder if God would have a thing or two to say to to our culture today about violence. You know, the answers aren't easy about why we live in such a violent culture, but we do. We live in a culture of violence. When you consider all the, the mass shootings, the violent crimes, God hates it. And it's troubling that we live in this kind of culture. And even within Christian circles, I sometimes see a wedding of worldly ideology uh, with, a, with pursuing righteousness through violence. But friends, we, we serve a Savior who turned the other cheek and calls us to do the same, who told Peter to lay down his sword, whose greatest victory, we sang about this morning, whose greatest victory was achieved by absorbing the violence of others and not returning it. Amazingly, the king of Nineveh recognizes the error of, the vi- of his violent ways and turns. And God calls us, too, to not be lovers of violence. So the king humbles himself. The king turns from his evil ways. And then thirdly, the king calls out to God for deliverance. He calls out for deliverance. We said this all throughout the book of Jonah. There is nobody in the story of the book of Jonah who called out to God for deliverance and was rejected. The sailors call for deliverance. God hears their prayer. Jonah calls for deliverance. God hears his prayer. The king of Nineveh calls for deliverance. God hears his prayer. God loves to respond to our prayers for mercy. God hears this prayer. The king told the people, call out mightily to God. You know, there's not a revival in history that has taken place that we haven't been able to trace some type of intentional prayer movement that preceded it. 
God loves to respond to the prayers of his people. Those who say, I can't fix this problem, but God can. So what I'm gonna do is call out to him. And sometimes it feels like we're doing nothing to pray. I mean, we're facing a great problem in life, whether it's in work or with family, uh, in our community, and we think, um, I'm just praying about it? Yeah, sometimes that is the work that God is calling us to do. Praying for God to have mercy, and, and he will deliver. Now, his timing is not always our timing, but God loves to respond to those prayers, the prayers of his people for mercy. The king of Nineveh humbled himself. He turned from his evil ways, and he called out to God for deliverance, and the Lord heard his prayers. Now, my question for you here is, do you believe that God can do today what he did back then? Do you believe that kind of transformation is possible, whether it's in your life, the life of one of your children, the life of a family member, a friend, a coworker. Do you believe God still does this? That he still changes lives in that manner? Because I'm kind of putting all the chips of my life in on the answer, yes. That God does this. The same God who changed the heart of the king of Nineveh can change the hearts of a whole city. He can change the hearts of a family member. He, he can change your heart. God loves to respond to our cries for deliverance when we call out to him in faith. We've considered uh, the surprising message, the surprising response, but lastly, the surprising confidence uh, in the message of mercy from the king. The surprising confidence we see here. Um, the king of Nineveh, he heard Jonah's message and, and he responded. So then he arose from his throne, he removed his robe, he covered himself in sackcloth, sat in ashes, then issued a proclamation to all the people to humble themselves, to turn from their evil ways and to call out to God. And then after doing this, he says in verse 9, who knows, God may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The king of Nineveh was not confident in God's mercy. The king of Nineveh hoped that if he repented well enough, if he got enough people in the city uh, to repent, then maybe God would become merciful to him into the city. If they did enough and became good enough, then God would respond with mercy. This is uh, the same thought process that we see happening uh, in the younger son in the story that Jesus told about a father and two sons. And we commonly call this story the story of the prodigal. Uh, in this story, in Jesus' story, the younger son was the rebellious one. Uh, he was much like the king of Nineveh, actually. The younger son was a rule breaker. He despised his father and ran away from home. If there was a rule, he was going to break it. He lived wildly squandering the money he had received from his father in wild living. Some of you probably remember this story. But when the younger son ran out of money, now you remember what happens? It says that he came to his senses. He's there trying to feed, be, uh, working, for, um, working for a pig farmer, and he longed to eat the food the pigs were eating, and he realizes, oh my word, like I had a, life was a lot better at home. He came to his senses. Uh, that's kind of what's happened with the king of Nineveh. He's come to his senses about the foolishness of how he's been living. So the younger son in Jesus' story um, decided to go back home, but he was not confident in how his father would receive him. 
So he planned to return and offer to his father to work off his debt as a servant. So I'll come back home, but not as a son, as a servant. Maybe my father will relent. Maybe my father will receive me. You know, I think that many of us, frankly, probably all of us, um, somewhere in our hearts have a similar mindset. Like this younger son, and like the king of Nineveh. Thinking that if we can live in a good enough way, God will then become merciful to us. Because it's so hard to be confident in God's mercy. To be confident that God will receive us. You know, a few years back, uh, there was a popular band, uh, Mumford and Sons. And uh, they wrote a song titled, uh, Roll Away Your Stone. And it was a song about recovery from addiction and a new start in life based on grace. And they wrote some profound lyrics in this song about how change based on grace affects us. Here's here's how the lyrics go. Uh, They said, uh, it's not the long walk home that will change this heart, but the welcome I receive with the restart. It's not the long walk home that changes the heart. It's the welcome. See, the son in Jesus' story had a surprise coming. He could never have imagined that the welcome he would receive when he returned home would be so favorable. But the father came running as soon as he saw his son on the horizon. And he wouldn't hear of his son returning as a servant to work off his debt. He put a robe on his son, sandals on his feet, a ring on his finger, all signs of the father's love and blessing, all signs of the son's sonship. And then they went into the party. This walk, this walk into the party is the real return, the real repentance. See, that's the walk that changed the son's heart, not the walk coming back. When he was first coming back, he was coming to his senses, but his heart really hadn't changed toward his father. He didn't really believe his father was merciful and good. But when the father welcomed him with open arms, it gave him confidence in his father's heart toward him. And we can have this confidence too. Uh, Hebrews 4, verse 16. I love this verse. We read here, let us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We all, whether we know it or not, are so hungry for mercy and grace. For mercy that God would deliver us though we don't deserve it. Deliver us from our own sin. Deliver us from the evil that befalls us. We need mercy and we need grace We need the favor of God, the love of God, uh, the strength of God, the wisdom of God, all that we lack, we need it from him. And this verse tells us, let us come to God boldly to get it, not coming sheepishly, uh, not coming groveling. Let, Let us come boldly to the throne. The king of Nineveh wanted to get mercy from God, So he stepped down from his throne and removed his royal robes, hoping he could get God to become merciful. He didn't know, he couldn't know, what we now know. He didn't know that the God who sits on the throne of the universe would one day step down from his throne. That Jesus would humble himself 
and remove his royal robes and put on the sackcloth of our humanity. And as a human, he would endure all that we endure, uh, the dust and the ashes of life. And more than that, as a human being, Jesus would endure what we could not endure. In the cross of judgment, we see that Jesus died for the sins of the world, for your sin, for my sin. That was placed on Jesus. So for all who call out now to God for mercy and place their faith in Jesus, here's the confidence we can have. The judgment has already taken place. It's already happened. Through faith in Jesus, that's a past tense thing. So the judgment has already taken place. We can come boldly to the throne for mercy and grace now. See, friends, the evil one cannot change what Jesus has already done. All he can do is try to get you to believe it doesn't fully apply to you. It doesn't fully apply to your situation. And those are lies. The surprising king of mercy has come down from the throne and given his life for you and for me. And the surprising king of mercy is opening his arms and welcoming us boldly, fully. You can come confidently home to him. And when you come home to him, you will be transformed. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you are this good. God, that you know all about us. Uh, God, you know uh, the error of our ways, the violence of our hands, the wickedness of our thoughts, the selfishness of our hearts. You see it all more than we even do. And uh, Lord, we would think that that would cause you to pull away from us. But Lord, instead it has drawn you toward us. Thank you, Lord, for coming for us in our sin. Thank you for loving us, for giving your life for us. God, I do pray that you would help us to believe that you are a good God. Help us, Lord, to come to you, not as a servant trying to work off our debt, hoping that you'll become merciful to us. Help us to come to you confident in the mercy that you have shown us in Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, you declared on the cross, it is finished. Uh, help us to believe that. God, help us to live confidently in you. And Lord, in turn, God, I pray you would transform us then to be that merciful to others. God, I pray that we would have mercy toward those that, that have not been kind towards us. Lord, I pray that your heart would be on display through us, your people. So we thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.